stools like she had. Stand on it. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Matthew 6, 19 says, Lay up, lay not up for yourselves <clears throat> treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to read it in English, to read it freely, to read it abundantly, where we all have it in our own lap, to be able to understand it and preach it and talk about it. We thank you for that. We thank you for the privilege of the word of God to be given to us. Help us not to take it lightly. Help us to take every word seriously and to uh, allow your word to speak to us and to and to change us and to make us what we ought to be. I pray you just help me and guide my mind and heart and mouth as I speak and uh, ex- proclaim and explain your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Your treasure reveals your heart. The Bible says in verse 21 again, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You look around in the world and you can tell what people's treasure is based on what their heart's desire is, and you can tell what people's heart's desire based on what they treasure. I'm reminded of a story of a man named uh, David Livingston, who is rather famous. In fact, you might have heard the phrase, Dr. Livingston, I presume. He spent his life in Africa. It's my understanding that he's the first white man or the first European to discover the Victoria Falls, and that he was there from I think 1841 he wanted to go to China but he ended up in Africa and uh, about 1863 I think his wife died there but he spent his whole life there pretty much and I think it was 1872 or 73 he he passed away as well when the word got back to Europe that he had passed away they requested him he was famous and they requested that his body be sent back to England and so his body was carried from the middle of the heart of Africa out to the coast so it could be put on a ship and sailed back to England. It took a lot of work just to get that body out to the coast. When they received the body in England, he was buried in uh, Westminster Abbey. But they were horrified. Some, somebody was when they opened up the wrapping or the casket or whatever they wrapped his body in and discovered that the natives had cut out his heart. And, of course, they assumed the worst. And they sent back a message about his heart, only to finally hear back many months, years later, you can have Mr. Livingston's body, but his heart belongs in Africa. And that's a a good story to tell when I want to talk about this particular message because where your treasure is is where your heart is. And that is true for all of us. And I want to encourage you to think about your treasure. I want you to think about investments and what you spend on and what you value. Number one, I would like you to think about our heavenly deposits. 
You know, the Bible teaches us that we can deposit in heaven's bank. Again, verse 19 and 20. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. But verse 20 says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, how in the world do we do that? How do we lay up treasure in heaven? Well, there are a couple ways that I know of that the word of God teaches. First of all, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 through 3, it talks about the meeting of the churches in Galatia and how that the Corinthians church was to lay up in store as God hath prospered them. And so individually they were to lay up and store and to take up a collection. We just did that a few minutes ago. Literally, one way to make a heavenly deposit is when you give what's called your tithes and your offerings. Now, I want to stop right here and say something. I kind of wrestled with God about this sermon today because I don't want it to come across that we need more tithes and offerings. I just got a raise last month. I don't even think I needed it. I'm not saying I'm giving it back, but I didn't think I needed it. But folks, if you think this message is about money or material wealth, I'm going to tell you something right now. God has all the gold in the world. He made gold. Did you know that? God made the paper and the chemicals that we make ink to, to make dollars with. God, if he wants more treasure on this earth, he can make it. He made everything that's value on this earth. This message is not about material wealth. This message is about this right here, your heart. It's just that the indication of your heart is, is based on your treasure. I have Jesus' words on that. Your treasure tells us where your heart is. And so one way to make heavenly deposits is through our tithes and offerings. In Malachi chapter 3, it, it explains bringing all the tithes into the storehouse. The idea is 10%. And, and ever since the Old Testament, you can see even before there was a law, Abraham paid tithes till Melchizedek, the priest of God, the king of Salem, Jesus in the Old Testament. <clears throat> we see in the New Testament that they laid by him in store, such as prospered them. And I love that because, that's, for instance, let's say that God demanded $100 from everybody. Well, some of us could probably handle that okay, but there's some of us in here that couldn't. I'm so thankful he didn't put a, a number value on it. He just said a percentage, and that's equal for all of us. <clears throat> Ever since I was a young man, I was taught this before I really understood God and even maybe had a real love for God, I was just taught this as a habit, and I'm glad I was. I was yesterday morning driving in my truck, and every Saturday morning there's this program on the radio, and I catch about 10 minutes of it usually, and that's about all I catch, and then I I park my truck and go wherever. But they were talking yesterday about investments. They always do every Saturday morning. Good, Good earthly investment advice, I think. And the man on the radio said, you should save at least 10%. And I was thinking, and he was saying something about how that young people and young adults don't think they can afford that. He said, at least 10%. He said, 20% would be better, but at least 10%. And I was reminded of this. And, and I was also thinking about this message. And I realized, you know, it's, it's funny how it's easier for some of us to tithe to ourselves than to the Lord. Now, I can tell you in my lifetime, I have not always saved 10%, especially when I was a young 
married guy with, with young children, it was hard to put away any percent. But I have always sent at least 10% to Heaven's Bank. I have always done that. As a matter of fact, not only tithes, but offerings. See, an offering is actually above tithes. Some of them might say, wait a minute, you mean offering is above? Yeah, it says tithes and offerings. Offerings is what we were just talking about a little bit ago about missions. And we heard from a letter in Australia from one of our missionaries. Missions is one way that we give extra. And there are people in our church, and I'm one of them, that not only give 10% of our income, but then on top of that, the last Sunday of the month, which happens to be today for me, I always put in my missions offering. And my missions offering isn't just the leftovers that I didn't spend. It's a determined amount that I give. And it's, it's a considerable amount. But every time I hear from our missionaries and I hear about someone getting saved, I think to myself, I had a small part in that investment. Or just the encouragement that we can be to that missionary. Offerings are, are different in ties in this way. It's of a willingness. First Chronicles 29, when they took up an offering to build the tabernacle, it was just out of a willingness. It wasn't that, that rigid 10%. It was just whatever they were willing and what God put upon their heart to do or to give. Of course, offerings aren't just missions. It's just whatever you hear a need, you hear something, you hear about someone or some need or something like that, or it could be just, it never even makes it to the plate. You just, of your own, just on your own, just do something behind the scenes for someone in whatever case it might be. Let me tell you something. That is part of laying up treasure in heaven. Matthew 6.33 says, the end of the chapter where we're in, it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you I mentioned jokingly that I'm not giving back my raise it could be that the Lord will say hey you don't think you need it I know somebody else who does and I will give it back I realize that I can't outgive God and as long as I put him first he'll take care of me if I put him first he takes care of me and I'm telling you I've been doing it for years I just try to put him first in financial issues I've tried to put him first in all things and I've not always been able to even save for myself but I found that my God is way better at investing my money than I am and I put him first and I try to in every area but now that's not the only way that we make heavenly deposits the second way is and this is the most important way the souls of mankind Proverbs chapter 11 verse 30 says the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he that winneth souls is wise I'm going to ask you have you ever personally won a soul to the Lord Jesus Christ have you ever personally brought someone to the Lord and maybe sat down with them and showed them from God's word how they could pray and receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That should be your utmost goal, that one day that would happen, if not already. And once it happens, I'm going to tell you this, if it happens to you, you're not going to say, well, I don't need to do that anymore. You're going to say, man, I want to do that again and again and again. In this building today, there are people that I have seen pray and ask Jesus to save them 
In some cases, I have seen other people that did the inviting. And then I met them here at church, and, and, and through that invitation and through them talking, we together saw that person receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. I'm going to tell you right now, there's nothing better than that right there. That is the most awesome thing in the world. But you know, you might say, well, I like that part better than that whole money thing part. You know, if it wasn't for a local church, there wouldn't be that other part. We're talking about hope ministry on Friday night. It's just one ministry of the things that we can do. That hope ministry, that whole thing is designed for people that need the Lord. They, they know they need something, but what they don't realize is they need the Lord. And, and it's designed for them to come and to have a building to come to and people that are willing to donate their time to, to be able to come and to learn and to get the help they need. Imagine if someone finally, after several weeks and months of looking at the poster and looking at the information that they were given, decide to come on a Friday night and the lights were dark and no one was here because we dropped the ball. I just, I just heard of a story of a young girl who was riding a Sunday school bus to church as a young girl. And she had just, the last Sunday she rode the bus, she heard from a, an elderly lady who showed her how to receive Jesus as her Savior. And she prayed and asked Jesus to save her that Sunday. She said the next Sunday they didn't come. And the next Sunday they didn't come. My parents weren't Christians. They could care less if the bus came or not. I was too little to know what the name of the church was. I just knew that they knew me. But, and to this day, she doesn't know why they stopped coming. I would guess that someone either just totally dropped the ball or maybe that week in church there was a big split. That happens sometimes. Or maybe the bus driver and the bus captain just said, forget it. Or maybe there just wasn't enough money to pay the bills or whatever it might be, but they stopped coming. Now, in her situation, the good news is that when she got old enough to drive her own car, this is a true story. She drove around and looked for a church that had buses. She figured if they have buses, they may, might be kind of like that church I went to before. And so she drove around and found a church that had buses, and she went in and got plugged in again. And today she's a pastor's wife. But I wonder how many slip through the cracks that we never hear good things after that. See, it's so important that we do like it says in 2 Corinthians 12, that we gladly spend and be spent for you. Our example is the Lord Jesus Christ who was gladly spending and was spent for us. <clears throat> and there are many times where as Christians we get weary and I think Satan would want us to get weary and get lethargic and give up and throw in the towel. But you know the Bible tells us that when we gladly spend it, our labor is not in vain. Jesus was talking with his disciples in John chapter 4. And they were really shocked at him. Because in John chapter 4, he went to Samaria on purpose. Nobody ever did that. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Those are those 
half-breeds, you know, we don't talk to them. Jesus went to Samaria and he sat down at a well and had a conversation with a woman of Samaria. To make a long story short, she received him as her savior and she was born again. The disciples had gone in to get some lunch. They came back out and found him talking with her and they were surprised he was talking with her. And after she left, they said, Master, aren't you hungry? Don't you want to eat? He said, I've already had something better than what you've got to feed me. And then in verse 35, he said, Say not ye there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Don't you understand? There's a harvest right now that needs to be reaped. He said, the harvest isn't going to be months down the road. It's right now. There are people in this city, this country called Samaria, that are absolutely ripe for harvest. And then notice verse 36. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit. And notice what it says here. And gathereth fruit unto life eternal. The wonderful thing about winning people to the Lord is it is eternal. There are people sitting in this room. I've had the wonderful privilege of seeing them pray and ask Jesus to be their Savior. That was eternal. No matter what happens, no matter how long or short their life is after that, they will be in heaven for eternity. They are eternal. And you can't beat that. He says, so that he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. The other beauty about this whole thing is, is that not everybody is on the reaping end. Some people are on the sowing end. But whether you're on the sowing end or the reaping end, you're all part of the same thing. And that is you all get to see the result. And that is the person saved. And so the missionary, he's over there in Africa or he's over there in Australia or whatever it might be right now. And he's on the reaping end. You and I, we're kind of on the sowing end. But when we get to heaven, because I doubt any of us are going to Australia anytime soon. But when we get to heaven and he's there and he says, look, pastor, this person got saved and this person got saved and this person got saved and we're rejoicing. He was on the reaping end. We were on the sowing end, but we were rejoicing together because we all had a part in it. One soweth and another reapeth. What an awesome, awesome thing we have to be involved in. I, I don't know. I don't know about you, but there's nothing around here that goes on that isn't important. And I will agree that it's not the end of the world. I shouldn't say this because this is going to really affect the cleaning for a while. It's not the end of the world if somebody doesn't vacuum the building. I hope you vacuum this week. But you know, all of that matters. Cleaning the bathroom taking care of whatever behind the scenes there is, changing the oil in the van, changing the snow tires back to summer tires, baking cookies for vacation Bible school, all that stuff that, well, I don't really see, but you know what? There's somebody that's going to come to vacation Bible school and get saved. 
In fact, there's young people in here who got saved at Vacation Bible School years ago or through Vacation Bible School. That's how they started coming, and eventually they got saved. I'm telling you right now, sowing and reaping, it all is for the same harvest. First Corinthians 15, verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I'm reminded of a missionary named Fraser who spent his life in Africa. And the man finally came back to America completely defeated in his own mind. He felt like he never really got anything accomplished and he spent years and years and he finally just gave up and just said, I I didn't do anything. Nothing resulted from it. And he died in America thinking that he was not effective. Years later, other missionaries came to the same area of the continent of Africa and started to go into the jungle and began to teach and to proclaim the word of God. Only to their shock and amazement, they found that there were many in that area that already knew about Jesus. In fact, they found a church out in the middle of nowhere that was of a thousand members, a thousand people. And the missionaries, of course, said, well, how did this? And they started to try to trace back the history and figure out, and they just started to try to do some investigation, and they found that everybody connected back to Frazier. And I'm reminded of that story as I read the word of God, and it says, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And when I think about young people, and and we have lots of young people that come to our church, we try so hard to bring them all in. And sometimes the young people move away and we never see them again. I remember three kids came one year to vacation Bible school. They were there that week only. That week was they were here. And at the end of that week, their parents moved somewhere else. But all three of those children got saved that week. I have never seen them since. But it was worth it. And I think about other children that maybe their parents don't want them to come anymore. And that happens sometimes. And maybe they just stop them from coming or whatever it might be. And you know what? The devil says, see, it was all in vain. All that time, all that stuff you did, that was just a waste. I'm going to tell you right now, the Bible says your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And I'm also reminded of when I see people who go away from the Lord. They they pray a prayer for salvation and I think they probably got saved but then they get away from God and they get out but I'm going to tell you right now that feels like a waste but I'm going to tell you right now your labor is not in vain in the Lord because there's probably somebody in here that could say I was that person and I ran from God for a long time after I knew better I'm going to tell you there are times where the devil really beats on my my mind and my heart and says your labor is all in vain but I got to remember what Jesus said. You lay up treasure in heaven and not on the earth. I look around at riches sometimes and I see people with material wealth and things like that. And I, and I think to my, and by the way, I feel like I'm rich myself. But I look around at others who might have something bigger or better or more shiny. And I think to myself, wow, that must be nice. And man, that looks like living. But I'm reminded of two guys that were standing at the grave of their friend. A very wealthy man who had died. And this What I'm going to tell you has happened more than once. Their friend dictated in his last wishes that he wanted his Cadillac 
to be lowered into a grave the size of a Cadillac with him propped up in the driver's seat with the air conditioning going and $100 bills stuffed in his pocket as he was lowered into the grave. And one friend looked at the other as they were doing that and said, man, that's living. No, it's not. And and I'm reminded how fleeting because Jesus said where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. And I don't care how secure your fortress is. Somebody will steal it. I was at a Cracker Barrel yesterday. There were lots of different reasons why people were there. But one of the main reasons why people were there is because their money's being stolen from the government. They call it taxes. A 93-year-old woman that's lived in her house all her life can't afford to stay there because they keep raising the rent on her home that she's had for all her life called taxes. It doesn't matter where you are, what country you live in, what Jesus said is true. And he has the wisest investment of all laid up there. It is not a waste to deposit in heaven's bank. I'm also reminded of a, of a wealthy man who was very famous in America, but he's been dead for a long time, so no one's ever heard of him. But he was a businessman in Philadelphia. He was actually postmaster general at one point. He was, I think, the first one to develop something called the department store in the idea of customer service and return merchandise. His name was John Wanamaker. And John Wanamaker was very respected in Philadelphia and known to be a very wealthy and successful businessman. And he was at some special you know, black tie event where everyone is there is, is a somebody and someone introduced him to someone that had never met him before and said, hey, Mr. Wanamaker, what do you do? Didn't know him. Mr. Wanamaker, without missing a beat, said, I'm the superintendent. I'm the superintendent of my Sunday school department in our church in Philadelphia. That's what he said he did. Well, don't, don't forget to tell him about the fact that you're postmaster general and, and that you own all these stores. No, no. I'm the superintendent for the Sunday school in my church. That's what I do. (laughs) What do you do? Do you know how many people value that question? In other words, what do you do? Because we, how important are you? What do you do? I'm a rocket scientist. I'm a politician. I'm a banker. I'm a doctor. I have many figures in my bank. What do you do? And we value ourselves that way. What do you do? I just keep trying to lay up treasure in heaven. That's what I do. So second point is our foolish deposits. Now, I didn't say our earthly deposits because all of us have to have a bank on earth. All of us have to have some money and some material possessions on this earth but our foolish deposits 
And the matching passage from Matthew 6 is Luke chapter number 12. It's almost the parallel story. In Luke chapter 12, it's, it's a little bit different in, in Luke 12 than it is in Matthew 6, only because there's a little more detail. But in Luke chapter 12 and verse 16, it says, and Jesus finishes verse 15 by saying, Beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the, your, your life is not about what you own although you and I think it is. We tend to think that way. But then he tells this parable in chapter 12 of Luke and verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. And that is the philosophy of most people. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And by the way, you don't know when your expiration date is. But I want you to see the next word after that colon. Then. Who shall those things be which thou hast provided? That word then is probably the most important word in the verse. Because what happens then? People will praise you for doing well to yourself and for investing and in, in having material wealth. I mean, there's even, as I said, radio programs and TV programs to talk us, teach us and tell us how to do it and how to be so wise here on this earth. But what happens then? What happens when you stop breathing? Then what? You can't take it with you. But as a Christian, I can send it on ahead. But in this world, you can't take it with you no matter how much you have. And then he says, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God I'm also reminded of 1st Timothy chapter 6 1st Timothy chapter 6 starting in verse 7 I think it is for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out and having food and raiment let us be there with content but they that will be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Drop down to verse number 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor entrust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good and that they be rich in good works ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. The whole concept here is with eternity's values in view. I know people, I know people personally who have given large sums of money and much of their time to the Lord because of that they do not drive around in the fanciest whatever 
they don't necessarily live in the biggest house. But in my opinion, they are not fools. They are rich people. Years ago, my father-in-law was talking to a man in his church, a man who is wealthy. He's a Christian, but he is blessed financially and with lands and things. And they were talking and and my father-in-law said something about the farm that the man had and the farms or whatever it was. And, and the man turned to my father-in-law and it happened to be a Sunday when I think all 10 of my father-in-law's children were together and their families, all 10 saved, all of the families saved, all of them saved, all of them belonged to a church somewhere, all together for a family reunion and we're all together. And Joe Schrock, my father-in-law said something about, wow, the Lord's blessed you. And the man turned to Joe, my father-in-law, and said, Joe, you're richer than I am. What I love about serving God is he doesn't allow us to be a bad billboard. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, if I'm going to preach this, and I'm going to read you Matthew 6.33 that says, seek first the kingdom of God, and he'll... He'll add all these other things to you. He doesn't want me then to look like a bad advertisement. So you know what he does? He makes sure I get taken care of. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't have a whole lot in the bank. I really don't. But I'm telling you right now, I have all that I need. And I've never been really without. I mean, look at me. I've never really been without. The Lord has blessed and the Lord has taken care of me. The Lord has met my needs and even a lot of my wants. And I have nothing to complain about. I have way more than I deserve. But what's really cool about it is, is that I don't have anything I can show the IRS of how I got it all. They're like, wait a minute. That doesn't look good on paper. I know. I've been sending it to Heaven's Bank and you guys can't find that paperwork. Nah, 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 nah. Folks, don't let the devil fool you into investing in the wrong world. There are several blessings in my life that walked into church today. Personal blessings. Personal investments. I hate to talk like you're material, but personal investments. That when we all get to heaven, I'm going to be holding hands and doing the ring around the rosy with all these people saying, I had a part in that. I had a part in that. Now, Jesus died on the cross, of course. He's the one that gets the glory. But I had a small part in that. I wonder if you were to die today, even if you are saved, I wonder if you were to die today, if you could say, I got somebody that I know I'm going to have the joy of saying I had a part in that. I mentioned it a few weeks ago, but it's a neat story, so I'll mention it again. There's a young man here named Ross that got saved 11 months ago because Jeff invited him to come to a church service on a Tuesday night. And I met Ross for the first time that night, and Ross got saved. A month or two later, he got baptized, and his dad came to watch that. His dad was interested in what this is all about with Ross, and so his dad wanted to know, and his dad got saved. Today, his dad is opening up a box that we just mailed him, and it's got all these tracks in it, and he's setting it up at the booth down there in Nevada. 
tracks from the Titanic booth that we had here. And he's opening up right now. And he's setting up a booth today to share the gospel with somebody else. Could it be that a man who hasn't been saved a year starts reaping more treasure in heaven than somebody sitting in this room? Quickly, let me just finish by saying the unsaved's retirement plan is wrath and destruction. The unsaved's retirement plan is corruptible treasure. There are lots of retirement plans, especially in our county. There's a lot of people that want to retire and live here, and I don't blame them. But the best retirement plan that you can get from a worldly investor is only going to be good for here and now and not for eternity. James chapter 5, it's almost a repeat of what Jesus said, but James chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Go to now ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped up treasure together for the days of last days. Not good days for them. Be better to be rich in the next world than to be rich in this one. In Second Peter chapter three, and I'm almost done, but just a few pages from James, Second Peter chapter number three, it says here in verse seven, <clears throat> talking about the heavens and the earth, and how that one day they will be destroyed. Verse six talks about the flood, and if you look around us, you can see evidences of a worldwide flood all around the Black Hills. But then verse 9 says, The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but his long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want to destroy mankind. But one day there is going to be a fire that's going to melt this world. Verse 10 says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God? Do you know the Bible says that one day this, this present world's going to melt? You think about all the real estate that's valued right now. And even real estate that's being fought over and wars are being fought over. But one day he's going to melt it all down and rearrange it. And then lastly, back in Matthew chapter 6. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In chapter 7. In verse 13, it says, going on, still talking about the same subject in the same context. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, but because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. There are many people who are very wealthy who have died and gone to hell. They took none of their wealth with them, and they had no good investment advice that they followed. They are not saved. They are lost. I think there are many Christians who will have followed the earthly investment program. They'll find themselves in heaven, yet saved, yet so as by fire. There's nothing else there. They're not, there's no other person there because of them. I think about my dear wife. She has taught Sunday school and other classes for years. 
kids that she's taught are now adults. And I know for a fact there's going to be some of them come up to her on on the meeting in heaven and say, Miss Wilma, I prayed and received Jesus Christ because of you. There'll be others, hopefully, in this room as well. You'll have that same testimony. And I want to encourage you by asking you this question. How's your heart? We've been preaching on the heart this month. Last week, we talked about our heart health. Today, what is the indicator of your heart? What do you invest in? Your heart is revealed by your treasure. My goal is to invest in where I'm going. That only makes sense. I know there's people in here that years ago you bought property in Custer County. And then after you retired, you moved here. Smart idea. It's not a smart thing for you to plan to live in Custer and to buy property in Timbuktu, New Mexico. Because you're not going to ever use that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend. I had someone that they were well-meaning. They were fooled. But they gave me, one time, they gave me Iraqi dollars. Iraqi dollars. With Saddam Hussein's picture on it. These are going to be valuable someday. Save them. They're going to be valuable. I think I put them with the Monopoly money in my Monopoly game. There are a lot of people who invest in some pretty wacky things. Pretty crazy stuff. Weird ideas. But it's logical to invest in something you know you're going to someday. Boy, we're not going to we're not going to retire for another 10, 20 years, but let's buy property now. Good good idea, especially in Custer County. But I wonder if when we get to heaven, hey, isn't it awesome to be here? Yeah, it's great to be here. So what, what do you have? Where, where's your treasure? What, what did you invest in? What, what, you invested in the earth? That's all melted now. You don't, you don't have, well, it's good that you're here, but you don't have, I didn't I did take Jesus's banking advice seriously. I hope that's not you. I hope you realize that God has the best advice in the world and he provided us with a Bible and a Bible-believing local church and there's just no reason why we can't do what he said to do as far as investing. I didn't just sing happy birthday to that young man because it's his birthday. I made sure we sang to him today because I'm investing in him. And we just need to keep investing. You know why? Because somebody died on a cross and invested in me. Somebody died for me. And because he invested in me, there's no reason why I can't invest in somebody else. And oh, by the way, the side effect is it's a joy. It's a privilege. And the benefits, no pun intended, but they're out of this world.
I want to close by singing 877. I don't 